0: Coming up, the big Brexit power grab. It's probably not quite why you thought they were saying take back control. Nobody's ever pretended this will be simple or easy. Plus, why is Theresa May suddenly insisting she'll go on and on and on? Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading the latest podcast. Now, do you remember the all-new, humble Theresa May? No, neither do I. But anyway, after the electoral kicking she received back in June, she did, at the time, seem to accept that she could no longer act like a dictator all of the time. That, however, appears to have been a distinctly limited phase. A little later, we'll get on to her apparent desire to remain in office for the rest of time. But first, let's turn to the never-ending fiasco that is Brexit. Because that is the Brexit clock. It has been ticking relentlessly in a cupboard since the end of March inaudible, it seems, to David Davis, the Brexit Secretary appears convinced we have all the time in the world for the rest of the EU to come around to the idea that they need Britain far more than Britain needs the 450-odd million people who live in the rest of Europe.
1: And while at times these negotiations have been tough, it's clear that we've made concrete progress on many important issues. (laughs)
0: This week, he returned to brief MPs on the blistering pace of Brexit talks. Blistering, that is, if you are a particularly slow-moving slug. Once a month, our crack negotiating team jump on the Eurostar, fail to agree anything, and then come home making dark mutterings about Johnny Foreigner. No one said it would be easy, said Mr Davis this week, which is strange, as that's pretty much what he did say every day during the referendum campaign. Let's not forget, though, that the Brexit vote was all about taking back control, repatriating those powers seized over decades by crafty Brussels types. What we didn't know was that it was actually about handing those powers not to Parliament but to government ministers. This is the issue that is threatening the Brexit bill that is now returning to the Commons, raised at Prime Minister's questions by Theresa May's favourite Tory backbencher, Anna Subri.
1: There are many concerns, very serious concerns, along these benches about the means, not the ends, of the EU Withdrawal Bill. So could my right honourable friend assure me that she will look in particular at those amendments that seek to change the EU Withdrawal Bill so that it doesn't become an unprecedented and unnecessary government power grab. As the bill goes through its scrutiny in this House and the debate continues, we will, of course, listen very carefully to that debate, and I will be very happy to meet my right honourable friend to discuss this further. Yeah.
0: You know, I don't think that last bit was entirely true. Let's bring in Robert Meakin. Uh, Robert, what Anna Soubry was complaining about, what a lot of people uh, are complaining about, is this henry VIII clause as it's called in this brexit bill it's a little complicated so strap yourself in the bill means that all eu law gets incorporated into british law so that come the glorious brexit day there are no sudden changes but what it then does is gives ministers these huge sweeping powers to change those laws without actually going back to parliament to get approval now that doesn't seem to sit terribly comfortably with the idea that this is about restoring democracy and bringing those powers back to Westminster
1: no I noticed that our esteemed Brexit Secretary David Davis has has stressed that this would be a situation that would be time limited uh, but Quite how time-limited that would be is obviously open to a debate. It obviously causes a huge amount of discomfort. The very idea that willy-nilly you could have Tory cabinet ministers changing laws, enforcing laws on this country in that way. Now, the Conservatives point out that these things, secondary powers, as it's called, have been used
0: for decades have been used by both Labour and Conservative governments, and there have been allegations against both Labour and Conservative governments that they have been abused to push through changes to laws without proper consultation. It is, however, the reason that Labour has given for saying it will vote against the bill. There's probably a little political opportunism there as well. It doesn't help the fact that Labour's stance on
1: Brexit is even more complicated now than it was a couple of weeks ago. They're all over the place uh, presently. You you hear all manner of Labour front benches, you know, frequently contradicting themselves. So, I mean, their, their credibility on this issue presently, however much trouble the Tories have got, the credibility of Labour is very open to question at the moment. Well, Labour was for Remain in the referendum and still broadly seems to think that Brexit's probably
0: going to be a bad idea, but accepts the referendum result and says, there's no going back from that, you have to leave. But now it also wants to stay in the customs union for many years more than the Conservatives want, possibly forever even though senior figures in labor have said in the past that staying in the customs union is tantamount to staying in the eu by the back door and they're against that so obviously that's about as clear as mud at the center of this bright new labor brexit policy is whether you genuinely think that jeremy corbyn or john mcdonald
1: believe in it and honestly clearly they don't No, I think that's that's quite clear. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, performance throughout, I mean, the actual referendum itself was ambiguous at best. It's difficult sometimes to understand where Jeremy Corbyn is coming from on Europe. He just seems to want to have his cake and eat it. And really, as you say, it, it, it... you can't help but think the opposition are playing games that they are seeing are a significantly weakened Conservative government. They know that this issue is an issue that could potentially bring down the Tory government at some point. And so they're poised. They're sort of, they're they're holding back fire in in many ways and not not making their own position clear because they think the Tories could self-destruct.
0: And of course, Labour saying they're going to vote against the bill makes it much harder for Tory rebels to walk through the lobby with all those Labour MPs. And so it actually damps down on the idea of a Tory rebellion. Though, to be honest, there was very little chance that a significant number of Tory Remainers were going to rise up in this Commons vote against a hard Brexit. They're going to do it at the committee stage, the sort of the less dramatic bit that isn't played out in the full glare in front of the cameras in the Commons Chamber, and it's that committee stage where they go through the bill line by line, that's where the real work of trying to water down the government stance on Brexit is going to happen. Fundamentally, though, Tory critics of the government's stance do have a point, because if there ever was a Commons majority for a hard Brexit, and there probably wasn't, then there certainly isn't off
1: the back of the election result. No, I think that's true. At the same time, I think if you are a pro-European Tory member of parliament, and there are plenty of them presently, they have to, you know, be careful in the way they choose their timing, because you, as you say, they can't be seizing on every detail and rebelling every week over the next few months. As you say, it, it'll come at key stages further down the line. They're going to keep their powder dry. But rest assured, of course, that it, there's going to be a very bloody and nasty battle inside the Conservative Party. And that's only just over the horizon. Interesting to see Theresa May's
0: government defaulting back to that sort of control freakery that got them into so much trouble in the run-up to the general election, with all these newspaper columns saying, you know, if you if you vote against us, if you, if you rebel, if you object to anything, if you put forward any amendments or changes at the committee stage, that is effectively the same thing as handing Jeremy Corbyn the keys to Downing Street. It's a ludicrous argument because the pro-Brexit campaign has said this was all about restoring democracy, repatriating those powers to mps making them sovereign again and then the government pushing through a hard brexit that many of its own members don't believe in then tells those same mps to shut up vote
1: the way they've been told to vote and not ask any awkward questions and she might have got away with it if she'd ended up having that elusive majority of 100 mps she might have been able to say look i've delivered you power, substantial power. Now he trusted me. I've proved I'm the authority figure who can drive this on, but she isn't, she's damaged. She's a damaged brand as prime minister. And I think that sort of argument just just doesn't hold true now because there there are too many people in that parliamentary party. A, very dispirited at the performance of Theresa May at the general election and B, who, are, who never wanted to leave the EU in the first place and now think, well, I think we are going to find our voice, thank you very much, because you know, we put our trust in you briefly and you messed up. Meanwhile, that top-secret
0: immigration plan leaks out of the Home Office, one that suggests a very, very tough line on allowing EU citizens into the UK, so tough that it's almost certainly incompatible with anything other than a very, very hard Brexit so tough that reportedly the Home Secretary is trying and failing to moderate a policy that's coming out of her own department. This is still all coming clearly from Theresa May and and clearly there are civil servants at the top of the Home Office who are
1: doing what Theresa May wants not what Amber Rudd wants. And what sort of dialogue is going on around the cabinet table it doesn't seem to be uh all all that convincing she's certainly she's got david davis the bruiser going over to brussels doing his thing she's got liam fox on that side as well but a number of her key players you just get the feeling they're just not on side and often not quite in the loop you mentioned the bruiser and it is pretty clear now that
0: that those brexit talks that david davis is attending are not going well no amount of blustering is going to alter that fact we are now almost a quarter of the way through the two-year timetable for these talks. And it doesn't look like we've made any progress at all. If I could find something to credit the government for in all this, I do understand the desire to resist a push to agree the divorce bill immediately because it's the only card that the british delegation has the uk is one of very few countries that pays in more to the eu than it takes out i think 12 percent of the total eu budget comes from britain france and germany aren't going to want to stump up that extra cash to make up the difference so they are desperate to make sure that the uk pays some money in and the british stance not you know not unreasonably is the moment we agree a figure the moment we say to you we're going to give you this much money then we don't have any other cards then we've got nothing
1: else that we can hold out to try and get a good trade deal of course critics are saying it's a shambles it's going on and on and on when will this ever end they may well be right but what are we judging it against yeah you know, we've never been in this position before we've never had to negotiate to leave the european union before it's a very Complicated, protracted, unpredictable business. So I think sometimes we have to be a little cautious uh, when, when, when sort of delivering judgment on how well or how badly they're doing, because as I say, we have nothing to compare it with.
0: It's worth remembering also that there's just as much posturing going on on the other side of the channel as, as here. Everyone has an audience that they have to play to. Angela Merkel has an election in a few weeks. It's by no means certain that she's going to win it. She needs to show that Germany's not a soft touch that's just going to pay for everything that the rest of the EU needs. Michel Barnier, who's leading the negotiations, has 27 member states who all want to see that he's doing his best to teach the Brits a lesson. He even said that explicitly this week. I am going to teach the Brits a cost of leaving the EU brilliant move by the way which fulfills every conceivable stereotype of the unaccountable arrogant brussels
1: bureaucrat that is what fueled the whole brexit campaign in the first place there will be all sorts of amateur dramatics over the next few months i wouldn't be surprised if we even walked out at some point you know it's it it, it's that sort of environment we're dealing with presently and it's uh there's lots of um, slogans and threats being delivered from either side (laughs) Now, in a way,
0: you have to admire Theresa May's bravery. She headed to Japan just a few days after a North Korean missile flew over the country. And in the few weeks or months we have left before apparent global annihilation... uh, Global annihilation um, is funny because it may well actually be true. Anyway, the Prime Minister made another brave decision by telling reporters that she intends to fight the next general election as Tory leader. That's the 2022 general election... Five years from now. Um, Robert, every time Theresa May goes on holiday, she seems to have a big idea, and nobody near her who says you know do you think that's wise necessarily last time it was to hold an entirely unnecessary general election that destroyed her credibility and wiped out her majority this time she has somehow returned from the summer believing that despite leading her party to the edge of oblivion for no obvious reason she can
1: just carry on for five more years and then seek re-election I mean the whole five more years thing is is a nonsense obviously it's it's strategy on on their part. I don't think Theresa May really believes for a second, even in her most optimistic moments that she's going to be prime minister by two thousand and twenty two I think it's a case of learning the lessons of what's happened to previous prime ministers. I mean, just remember Tony Blair going on about serving a full term, in inverted commas, having indicated he, w- he would also stand aside before the next general election. He was gone pretty shortly afterwards. I think Theresa May knows if she said, look, I'm going to just stick around to complete the Brexit negotiations. I'll be here for argument's sake for the next two years. She starts saying that the way modern politics goes, she could be out in six months. So I think it's purely a tactical move. It's absolute bluster. It's absolute nonsense, but I understand where she's coming from. I don't see what the strategy is. By saying something that
0: nobody believes is true, by infuriating people, there were unnamed former ministers in the Sunday papers saying she signed her own death warrant now, she's delusional, it's just another reminder that she's no bloody good. She's annoyed her own MPs who only a few months ago, she said, I'll only stay for as long as you want me to. Now she's saying, no, 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 you're stuck with me for years. I'm going nowhere, mate. I don't see what the strategy is unless the strategy is how angry can I make my own
1: MPs? Yeah, I I just think, though, that if she put any sort of real time frame on it, and we know there's a real time frame on it, if she actually admitted, look, I'm here for 18 months, I'm here for two years. I think that there's just a feeling among her advisors that just weakens her so much. When she she messed up at the general election, she had to come out and say all that. She certainly couldn't say then, look, I intend to be around for the next five years. But I think she's gone away and thought, look, I am a dead woman walking, as George Osborne rather quaintly put it. But at the same time, I have to put up this front. It is ludicrous. It's just a game. But I can understand why she's done it. This doesn't mean, of course, that a leadership challenge is inevitable uh, within the next few
0: weeks or that one will materialise at the Conservative Party conference in the autumn. But if we are going to talk about leadership... Can we please stop talking about Jacob Rees-Mogg? We discussed in the last podcast the Mogmania, this this fervent campaign that had been put up over the summer by people who'd had a little too much sun and too much to drink, who somehow thought that Jacob Rees-Mogg was the answer to their prayers. Well, now this alleged comedy toff has gone on television to reveal he has an absolute opposition to abortion in all circumstances, including rape
1: and incest. Not quite so funny now, is he? Anyone who knows anything about Jacob rees Smog, and I've had to write about him a few times, wasn't particularly surprised. They are, these are his views. He has never hidden them. You could argue on one point, well, at least he's not being ambiguous. On the other side, this is someone who's been talked about very enthusiastically, only, only today as, as, a, as a potential Tory leader. And then you start to think, well, my goodness, what sort of position, what sort of situation is the modern Conservative Party in if someone who holds those sorts of views? is considered the party's saviour.
0: It doesn't really fit very well with apparently the Tory strategy for the autumn, which is to find ways to reach out to all of those young people who turned out from nowhere. Not really, no, no. (laughs) One policy that does appear to be designed to appeal particularly to younger voters, among others, is the uh, apparently inevitable abandoning of the public sector pay cap, which is something it resolutely refused to do not six months ago. This is, again, is something that came up Prime Minister's questions. Will the Prime Minister please see sense and end the public
1: sector pay cap and ensure our NHS staff are properly... What we have seen from what he does in uh, this House and outside this House is consistently stand up and ask for more money to be spent on this, that and the other. Now, he can do that in opposition. He can... Asks consistently for more money to be spent. He can do that in opposition because he knows he doesn't have to pay for it. The problem with Labour is that they do it in government as well.
0: I'm not sure it was necessarily a good idea, Robert, for the Prime Minister in answering that to compare calls to lift a many years cap on the pay of millions of public sector workers with, hang on, let me find the quote, asking for money for this, that, and the other. That sounds a little let them eat cake.
1: Yes, this, that, and the other. It, it, it struck me as uh, you know, Theresa May, in, in typically uh, rehearsed form. I think uh, the Maybot was in full flow there. Uh, I, I think she went when, when she looked back on that, she'd have regretted it pretty quickly because it was an awful phrase to use when, you, when you're talking about people like nurses and the sort of the level of work that they do uh, week in, week out. To dismiss it in such a way was obviously clumsy and ill-judged. But I think it was probably a soundbite they'd already written to hit back at Corbyn. And in fact, when it was said in the context it was, it sounded, of course, bloody awful.
0: Now, we ought to turn our attention to the Labour Party for a while, though it is hard when the Tories provide quite so much to concentrate on. Uh, Labour has lost its leader in Scotland, Kezia Dugdale, who just Just seems to have had enough, frankly. And then there's the case of Sarah Champion, who was the Shadow Equalities minister. Now, she stood down after writing an article for The Sun about the failure to tackle grooming gangs targeting vulnerable young girls. It followed the latest convictions in Newcastle. Her argument was that she chose The Sun on purpose because it would put her message that politicians fail to address this issue for fear of being accused of racism in front of a lot of people in a tone a lot more direct than she would have managed in The Guardian. But she was then herself accused of racism, and in a somewhat ironic way of proving the point, was then forced to resign her frontbench position. Um, Robert, it did strike me that this just reinforced the idea that dogma is still incredibly important in Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. I couldn't see whether in the eyes of some Labour activists her bigger crime wasn't that she raised this issue, but that she raised it in The Sun.
1: I have lots of sympathy with her. I I, I think she raised a very difficult but extremely important point, anyone who's followed that story recently. And I think she made a good call to actually go to The Sun, I think, to actually... Rather than go through all the usual predictable outlets, I think I think the language she used was very forthright, was very clear, it was tabloid, but yet yeah, you need to communicate with that section of the media, whether it be the mirror, whether it be the sun, you need to sort of speak to that section of the British public. And I thought she did it pretty well, actually, and she's been punished for it.
0: The time was when Labour politicians absolutely thought you had to engage with the sun to reach the kind of voters who swing elections. Now, using the sun to reach those voters has
1: become a sackable offence. Yeah, I mean, the sun isn't the force it used to be when it could really make or break political leaders and general election campaigns. But it's still, it's still, I I believe, they're the most read newspaper in the country. It's just... Pure logic to say, yes, sometimes they might not be our cup of tea, but at the same time, sometimes we are going to communicate with them directly. And as I say, I thought she was discussing an extremely difficult, sensitive, terrifying issue, to be honest, in in a very frank and intelligent, bold way, to Britain's biggest newspaper. And yet, as a result, she loses her job. I think that says a lot about the current Corbyn administration.
0: Meanwhile, the line-up for the Labour Party conference is out, as eagerly anticipated as any Glastonbury stage. Sadly, though, there is no time for the mayors of either London or Greater Manchester, or the Shadow Defence Secretary, All people, who, it has to be said, are not necessarily thought to be overly keen on Mr Corbyn. But don't worry... The crowd-pleasers are still there, Diane Abbott, John McDonnell, reviving their sole greatest hit, singing the same song about loyalty to the leader. Uh, the Labour conference does sound like the hot ticket this autumn.
1: It does, but they, they had their moment in June. Everyone was would have thought by now there was going to be a Labour leadership contest uh, come this party conference. They thought Corbyn would have failed dismally at the election. Of course, none of those things happened so he's going to bask in the glory and he doesn't feel the need to allow any of his critics to have a significant platform. I, I, yeah, you could say at one point it's the control freakery of Corbyn and co. Presently on the other side, it, it's understandable. He's had to weather so much criticism, so much abuse from his own party, may, namely the parliamentary ranks. Maybe he can be excused from wanting this to be his show and his show alone. He's going to bask in the glory of Labour losing a third successive
0: general election. Absolutely. (laughs) It's all relative. (laughs) We should briefly reflect before we go on um, what is very much the bromance of the summer uh, between Jeremy Corbyn and Stormzy. Now, I'm sure we all know that Stormzy is Britain's grime sensation. Robert I'm sure you're a big fan
1: Oh huge Got all his um, LPs I don't know They call them LPs anymore I don't know what they call them No I don't think they do Hot tracks or something His compact discs Yeah something like that The TDK I've got a TDK mix C90
0: Yeah yeah He got an award At the GQ Man of the Year Awards uh, This week Presented to him by jeremy corbyn and i think obviously they're they're a natural pairing you can see where they get on so very well um stormzy is a bit of a political warrior he's been tweeting support for nurses who've been out protesting against the public sector pay cap and it is from stormzy that we have learned a new word this week so it's a bit like call my bluff this so what's our next word Pagon. that's pagon. i'll spell it for you
1: p-a-i-g-o-n what do you think Agon means. I thought, I thought it was something a lot worse, but am I right in saying it's along the lines of an untrustworthy person? Is that a fair... Yeah. yeah that's right that's that's right it's someone who lies to you and
0: pretends to be your friend which apparently is his is his word for Theresa May I mean it could to be honest be most politicians or salesmen or people on television
1: yeah I mean it, but it's still it's it good it's a little more imaginative than a lot of things uh celebrities have called the Tory government so you know credit to him so there we are paygon, paygon. pay, gone. pay gone. I, I
0: look I look forward to uh dropping that word into general conversation in the days in the days to
1: come i must admit i did get confused at the beginning when I, I thought you'd actually said pagan i thought i thought pagan which obviously with theresa may such a well-known christian you know whatever you think of her vicar's daughter theresa may that well-known pagan but no pagan <laughs> Uh, next time,
0: we will uh, we will turn our attention to the impending UKIP leadership race. There is another one coming up, you'll be delighted to know. And if you thought the last one was nuttier than a fruitcake, wait until we meet some of the candidates who are lining up to lead the People's Army over the White Cliffs of Dover. Uh, that's to come next time in the meantime do get in touch on twitter at paul osborne Uh, do pause too to leave a review or rating on itunes if you have the time or the inclination and until next time thanks very much for listening and goodbye